0: This is the voice of the Trumpet Magazine. News, economy, politics, trends, discovery, health, family, the Bible, the future. This is Trumpet Hour, the week in review.
1: Welcome to Trumpet Hour. I'm your host, Philip Nice, and I've got just as many questions as you do about all of this. If you're looking around at the world, if you're looking at the news and the headlines, and you're asking yourself, what is happening, question mark, exclamation point, then you are in good company, or at least you are in my company. So we have questions. Thankfully, we have our Philadelphia Trumpet authors to give us some answers. They spend some of their week every week searching not only what the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal or Al Jazeera or Geopolitical Futures or CNN are saying is important, or rather what specific editors in those specific newsrooms are telling us is important. But also they are searching back through what the Philadelphia Trumpet itself has said over the past 33 years based on statements on forecasts made by Trumpet editor-in-chief Gerald Flurry. So they are looking for specific developments and specific trends in all of this uh, maelstrom of, of news out there uh, that inundates you and me, But in other words, they know what to look for. And it is good to have them with us. Mihailo Zekic, Richard Palmer, Jeremiah Jacques, and Andrew Miller. Good to
2: be here. Good afternoon. Top of the morning to you.
1: Hello. And this week, I want to start with the Middle East. Mihailo Zekic, you are in charge of watching what uh, Al Jazeera and so forth, Iran Times, was it, uh, what they all report about what's actually happening and, and their attempt to make sense of it. And you're also in charge of monitoring what the trumpet says and has said and Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry has said about this crucial region. So give us this week's update.
3: As always, or as most of the time, it it is a very busy week in the Middle East. A lot has happened. Um, On Saturday night and Sunday, a uh, storm hit Libya and caused a couple of dams to implode, flooding a a city of about 100,000 people and causing a lot of damage. We'll have more to say about that in the second or in the roundtable discussion. Uh, On Tuesday, the Israeli Supreme Court started its hearing of Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's reasonableness bill. We've talked a, a lot about that and how uh, you see the government and Netanyahu on one hand and, his, and the anti-Netanyahu camp, including the Supreme Court, going at loggerheads. The dis- final decision for that won't be out for uh, a, a, at least a few weeks, probably more than that. So there's not too much to report on anything uh, like concrete going forward at this point. So we'll keep tabs on that. And the United Kingdom, France, and Germany have announced they're going to continue sanctions that were put on Iran because of the JCPOA, the 2015-2016 Iran nuclear deal. That deal was technically set to expire in October, um, and Iran's been doing a lot of stuff since then that makes Europe really nervous, so... This is basically Europe's declaration that they're not living up to their ends of the bargain of the JCPOA anymore, and they see Iran as a threat. They've talked about it before. Uh, it's another confirmation from them on this.
1: The main story that uh, you gave me a heads up on uh, is something that had uh, – I mean, it's, very, it's very grave, um, and it has to do with something that uh, brought me and I think a lot of others to tears on the anniversary – of it earlier this week uh... what is your main story this week
3: yes well all three of those stories that i mentioned those normally would have been my candidates for main stories but just to show you how important developments are going in the middle east and how serious this particular matter is i wanted to bring back to uh... on on monday was the anniversary of the september 11th two thousand one terror attacks Obviously, a very, very sensitive subject, uh, 2,977 people uh, in the United States died in the course of four plane crashes. Of course, as those that were around back then would remember, two on the Twin Towers in New York, one at the Pentagon, and one crash landed in Pennsylvania. The Although for a lot of Americans and a lot of non-Americans, myself included, this would be a somber time, the United States government decided to uh, mark this anniversary in a very, uh, shall we say, interesting way. Uh, uh, the State Department sent a document to the United States Congress that day confirming the transfer of $6 billion U.S. billion in frozen Iranian money to the Iranian government and linking it to a prison swap or prisoner swap that... The United States and Iran are undertaking five for five. We've talked about some of this before. This is the first time that the government has confirmed that uh, the two actions are linked. And given the fact that Iran is the world's number one sponsor of Islamic terrorism, a country that was implicated, not the main actor per se, but still was implicated in 9-11, that As recently as this year, it has reports circulating that they're harboring the current leader of Al Qaeda, the masterminds of the 9-11 attack is, well, the fact that they would send it on that particular day is pretty sickening. And a a lot of people in Congress and elsewhere had a lot to say about that. This was
1: egregious. You said, you know, mark the anniversary and, and that this is not by accident. This is such a, uh, uh I, I I have no words. what if you live if you're old enough to have lived through 9 eleven and and realize what happened that day and 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 the the tragedy and that just the evil, the confirmation that the evil definitely exists in this world and you've got to admit that to have lived through that day, To be in a position of responsibility and to be doing these two things and then marking them, emphasizing them on September 11th is to say that you are the enemy of what America was before 9, 9, 11, that that's to declare in a not so subtle way that Joe Biden, Barack Obama regime is so hateful toward what America was that it will do this it's like Joe Biden checking his watch when dead bodies are coming back uh, servicemen from overseas this is intentional and this is horrific betrayal of what America was and and the people who have died that day and since that day I, I could not Believe that they did this.
3: Yes. Well, it's not just about hating what America was. This is uh, also looking forward into the future. Like you said, this is intentional, but who's the audience for this? Is it the American people? They didn't, the government themselves didn't make too much of a hoo ha about this. I guess technically the audience was Congress, which uh, obviously there's a lot of people there that don't like what the administration is doing. But they could have picked any day to do this, even if it was a few days before or a few days after. It still would have had a similar impact, a bad, a bad enough impact. But the fact that they chose the day itself, I mean, the Iranians are watching this as well. They Again, they're sponsoring terror to this day. They were partly involved in the 9-11 attacks, and they're just getting – six billion more reasons on why to continue that the the government the US government has said well we're going to make sure that this is used only for humanitarian purposes we're not going to let them run away with this this is what um th- this is what uh, the, the Iranian president Abraham Racy uh said about that he, uh, uh responded to a reporter Uh, He said, quote, humanitarian means whatever the Iranian people need. This money will be budgeted for those needs and the needs of the Iranian people will be decided and determined by the Iranian government, end quote. That's a not so subtle way on his part in saying that, yeah, we don't care what limits you put this on. We're going to do with this money whatever we want to do with it. And the fact that he would say this so openly, A, shows that. He's confident that he can do this without repercussion, and B, he's confident that the U.S. government knows that he can do it, and that they're still letting the money come over to him.
1: It was an American uh, news show too that it was on, wasn't it? And I don't know if it was actually if that actually aired on September 11th as well, but it was pretty close. And it's an American. It's it's a it's a message. It's it's such a clear message to have the leader of Iran saying. Uh, yes, we're getting the six billion dollars, and yes, we will use it to sponsor terrorism. And and having that hit on nine eleven is unbelievable and wicked.
3: Yeah, it was. It was on an exclusive interview with uh, NBC. Even just think about six billion. It sounds like an astronomical amount just from saying it. But the the One World Trade Center, the replacement building for the for the Twin Towers, that costs. Uh, roughly around 3.9 billion so this sum that they're getting is almost double what it costs to repair the damage of that day i've been to new york i've seen the memorials that they left those pools with the waterfalls that just seem to go out into black oblivion the, that's basically what the message that is being sent is that we're fine if you send more people into Black Oblivion. Those four aircrafts that crashed, those are valued at roughly $385 million. Obviously, the terrorists didn't buy the planes themselves. But you could buy a lot of planes to launch into a lot of buildings with $6 billion for the needs of the Iranian people, which is whatever the Iranian government wants, so to speak. This is a calculated message on the US government's part, like they've done so many times before with under the table sanctions with under the table or sanctions relief, I mean, with under the table waivers on their nuclear program. With even a few years back, there was that story that, uh, when he was Secretary of State, John Kerry was telling the Iranian government about Israeli military moves, like compromising the security of a trusted ally in a grave way. This could be uh, put up with them. This is a calculated. Fraud even, you can say, an encouragement for Iran to keep doing what they're doing. Uncle Sam's got their back. We're not going to stop you. We're going to make it easier for you. This is, as Mr. Fleury would often say, this is not incompetence. This is treason. This is by design.
1: This is treason. You mentioned the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. Not even a treaty. There's just this agreement that we will find a way for Iran to continue having its regime – having these same people in power because their, their power was threatened. They found a way to keep Iran's leaders in power and to keep their nuclear program operating. I have never accepted the premise. Barack Obama's presidency reached out to the Middle East, uh, Reach out as a euphemism basically, began to work with enemies of America in the Middle East that we've gotten used to that, that's something that happened, you know, whatever it was eight years ago, that's incredibly illogical. And as I say, wicked. And then to have this on 9-11 from your own government, I mean, this confirms they hate you. The Iranian head of government hates you as he takes your money. And the American head of government hates you there is evil, there is hatred, there is wickedness, and there is deadly, deadly consequences involved here.
3: There's a prophecy that we go to often on the show for a variety of different reasons. 2 Kings 14 verses 26 and 27, which speak of uh, the name of Israel being blotted out on and bitter affliction uh, being given to the nations of Israel. This is... is uh, speaking of countries, including the United States and uh, uh, Herbert W. Armstrong, who was the editor-in-chief of our predecessor uh, magazine, The Plain Truth, he wrote a lot about that in his book, The United States and Britain and Prophecy, if anybody would like to learn more about that. But again, the blotting out, thats that that doesn't just mean a setback. That doesn't just mean on the decline. That means totally being wiped out like those two towers, like those black holes where those towers stood. Empowering a country to to continue these kinds of terrorist activities to, as you were mentioning, to further along a nuclear program that would throw the whole world into war and America and Israel being the two nations most in the crosshairs, that is blotting out. The question would be, why would the current presidency of Joe Biden, of Barack Obama, behind Biden and of Barack Obama when he was officially president – Why would he be doing that? Well, this is what Mr. Flurry wrote in his booklet, The King of the South. It's a bit of a longer quote, but he wrote that Iran's mullahs publicly say they want to wipe Israel off the map. That is another way of saying they want to blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. Why in the world would an American president align with these murderers? And why implement a deal that virtually guarantees Iran becomes a nuclear power? This prophetic passage, this is Mr. Flurry writing, in 2 Kings 14 explains, President Obama shares the goal to blot out the name of Israel. And this doesn't just explain what's going on in the Middle East. It explains everything from the gutting of the economy to the non-existent southern border to the promotion of anti-family values like homosexual pornography in elementary schools, this all ties back to this one fundamental goal, shall we say, of President Obama, to blot out the name of Israel. Arguably – empowering iran with this kind of money with this with nuclear weapons with these prods on su- such days like 9-11 to keep doing what they're doing could hasten it probably more than anything else so this is why we watch uh events going on Again, a, a memo to the state department might seem a bit insignificant for some people this is why it's significant for us this is why it's significant in in terms of bible prophecy and this is why you need to keep watching what the government does with iran what happens to iran and its power and its relationship with the united states so if our listeners would like to learn more about that i'd highly recommend they uh request a free copy of the king of the south and specifically chapter two which is called obama and the king of the south it dives into this topic in much much more detail than we covered here and can really provide clarity on what's going on and why the government is doing these seemingly irrational self-destructive things Obama and the King of the South, chapter two of the
1: book, The King of the South by Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry. I mean, September 11th occurred now 22 years ago, and the world really has changed. Uh, so much has changed because of Middle East policy and just the, the wildly uh, uh, wicked uh, Middle East policy that traces back to Barack Obama. We are not living in the same world. And, and it wasn't just because of those, what those terrorists did on that day. Uh, It's, it's largely because of that man. And that man shares the goal of, of blotting out the name of Israel. It's such a perfect description. And the United States is one of those main nations that descended from ancient Israel. And it is also the subject of our next region. Uh, Our next region is Anglo-America. Andrew Miller, you've been watching that. Give us the update if you would, sir.
4: Yeah, several developments in uh, Anglo-America this week. Some bad financial news. The annual inflation rate is going up again after going down for quite some time. It shot up from 3.2% to 3.7% last month, mostly due to rising fuel prices. A new Homeland Security report reveals that the border situation is even worse than we thought it was. Apparently, uh, the Biden administration has lost track of 170,000 illegal immigrants that it released into the interior in hopes that they would uh, kindly show up for their court day at the appropriate time. Uh, And California is moving forward with its crazy attempts to ban all fossil fuel-powered commercial vehicles so that there'll be only, only electronic commercial vehicles in California in the very near future.
1: So this is just a continuation of what we were just talking about. Is is this all incompetence? Is this all people like you you and I were talking the other day, Andrew, about is this people saying, Well, well, we're just we just think this is the best way forward for our country. We want to build up our country and, and make life good for Americans. So we're doing all this that no, <laughs> that's not the case. Um, Sorry, go, go ahead
4: with your main story. Yeah, that is, uh, it's definitely not the case. I mean, uh, you know when you print money, the inflation rate goes up. If you uh, re- uh, release illegal immigrants and tell them to come back without actually uh, taking any measures to keep track of where they are, you are going to lose track of them uh, and um, shutting down all fossil fuel. Powered vehicles. It's like a self sanction to hurt the American economy. And a lot of this is uh, deliberate. And uh, our main story is about some more deliberate corruption. I guess in a, a little inkling of good news, um, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has opened an official impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden. Now, um, those familiar. <laughs> with impeachment, uh, know that like impeachment doesn't actually remove a president from office. You have to be convicted by the Senate after you're impeached. And it takes a simple majority vote in the House to impeach, which means since the Democrats control the Senate, there's no chance Biden's being removed from office. And since it takes two hundred and 18 Republicans to impeach a president. That's actually probably pretty likely to leave and proceed to that. There would only have to be five rhinos <laughs> de facto and there's more than five rhinos uh, in, in Congress. But Uh, This isn't impeachment proceedings. It is an impeachment inquiry, which should give the American people some more knowledge about Biden family corruption. Uh, This – the impeachment inquiry, it's specifically making a formal congressional impeachment inquiry into investigations the House Oversight Committee has been doing for eight months uh, into – Biden family money laundering, the House Oversight Committee has determined that the, the Biden crime family has made at least $20 million laundered through 20 shell companies uh, doing um, shady business deals in China and in Kazakhstan and in Russia and uh, very prominently in Ukraine Uh, I think that's um, mainly what the impeachment inquiry is focusing on is uh, if you've listened to this program from any length of time, you've probably heard the story about how uh, the corrupt Ukrainian gas company Burisma uh, gave Hunter Biden a position on its board of directors, even though he doesn't have any experience in natural gas or anything really other than Drugs and prostitutes. Uh, But they gave him the position in order to gain access to his father, Joe Biden. A new Ukrainian prosecutor, uh, Viktor Shokin, uh, tried to investigate the corruption. So Biden went over there and told them that if, like, if you, um, the Obama administration's giving a billion dollars in aid to Ukraine, he's like, the aid's gonna go away if you don't fire the guy investigating my son immediately. Um, And then that happened. Uh, The Biden administration is trying to deny it now, but we actually have Biden on tape at the Aspen Institute bragging about how tough he is. Uh, So we've we've got it straight from the horse's mouth there. Uh, But the impeachment inquiry is actually finding out that the owner of that company uh, actually used a money laundering bank in Malta, the Sata Bank, to wire $5 million to Hunter Biden and $5 million to Joe Biden. So like direct, not just Hunter, but like $5 million to Hunter and $5 million to Joe Biden as bribe money uh, to get this prosecutor fighter fired. They've actually, they've got a, we don't have them on tape, but they have a whistleblower saying that the the oligarch who runs Burisma was complaining that uh, his dog was smarter than Hunter, which is likely true. Uh, and also that um, it cost him $10 million to get the prosecutor fired. He said, he said I had to give $5 million to one Biden and $5 million to another. Uh, it's like 10 million total in order for Biden to come in and say, fire this prosecutor or I'm canceling a uh, billion dollars in U.S. aid, uh, which the the hypocrisy in this story is astounding because Donald Trump actually was impeached for calling up Ukrainian President Zelensky and asking him to investigate this story. Um and they, I, since he talked about U.S. aid in that call, they're now saying that like, oh, well, he threatened to cut U.S. aid if you didn't investigate Biden. It's like, no, it was Biden who threatened to cut a billion dollars in U.S. aid if you did not fire a corrupt prosecutor uh, investigating his son. And we now have it on good information that like the Biden crime family was paid $10 million for their trouble. Uh, and so now it is it is kind of some poetic justice if, it, if this were to proceed. Is, is that like Biden's being an impeachment inquiry spent and launched into the exact example of Biden family corruption that Donald Trump got impeached for trying to investigate? I've overwhelmed you with details here, but we'll include this little sound clip directly from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy announcing what he is investigating the Biden crime family for.
0: House Republicans have uncovered serious and credible allegations into President Biden's conduct. Taken together, these allegations paint a picture of a culture of corruption. Now here's what we know so far. Through our investigations, we have found that President Biden did lie to the American people about his own knowledge of his family's foreign business dealings. Eyewitnesses have testified that the president joined on multiple phone calls and had multiple interactions. Dinners resulted in cars and millions of dollars into his son's and his son's business partners. We know that bank records show that nearly $20 million in payments were directed to the Biden family members and associates through various shale companies.
4: So there you have it. You heard that directly from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy about just the corruption that's taken deep root in American politics. And that's actually the scripture I've brought with me today is Isaiah 1, 4 through 5, that says, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger. They have gone away backward." why should you be stricken anymore while we revolt more and more the whole head is sick and the whole heart is faint and you know that the head is something the head is the organ that leads the body so when you're talking about um uh, actually biden is referred to as head of state uh that's one of his titles so the the biden crime family uh they are corruptors and they are the head of the american body uh at the uh at the moment uh even if not legitimately they they fulfill that role so that's a very uh, real demonstration of the fulfillment of that prophecy. We can put our editor-in-chief's book, America Under Attack, in the show notes that goes uh, into a lot more detail about how America has been hijacked, really, by a corrupt cabal uh, that's causing the, the people to uh, become corruptors and revolt more and more.
1: And how, how true and I mean, the corruption is a huge part of uh, it—a corrupting of how a leader's decisions are made, where they make those decisions based on personal benefit. And at the same time, you have what we're talking about in segment one. This is not incompetence, but treason. This is this is about blotting out America, not just enriching yourself. Some of the people at the top seem to be motivated by only that, but. There's a force behind them using that corruptibility to blot out honor and respect and decency toward the victims of 9-11, toward Americans and, and what America has been. Uh, my point is that there's something and someone actively not only trying to enrich themselves, but destroying and killing what America is and has been in, in its principles. That's why you have calls to prayer in New York City right now, where, where even the Europeans are banning Islamic uh, address and so forth. That's why you have 9-11 used to highlight, we are giving $6 billion to Iran, and let's get the president on an American news show to, to gloat about it. This just reminds me of what General Michael Flynn said, and this is the point that I wish everybody would just at least agree on, that evil exists, he said evil exists you and you've got to explain that evil exists we saw that on 9-11 and we're seeing that in the leadership of america evil exists and you can understand that better with america under attack as you said and uh, the article how close is the u.s to civil war but uh, especially america under attack you are listening to Trumpet Hour on KPCG 101.3 and online at the trumpet.com. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Trumpet Hour. A week in review.
1: You are listening to Trumpet Hour on KPCG 101.3 FM here in North Edmond, Oklahoma, and online, of course, at thetrumpet.com. Welcome back. We have covered two of our four geographic regions so far, and now we are descending into Asia for an update from Jeremiah Jacques. Jeremiah, what stories do we need to be aware of there in Asia?
2: Yeah, first a couple of China stories here. On Wednesday, China became the first country to name an ambassador to Afghanistan since the Taliban took over. So we know from China's operations in Xinjiang, that inside of China, the Chinese Communist Party takes an extreme zero tolerance approach to Islamic fundamentalism, or even, you know, devout practitioners of Islam, but here we see the outside of China. The CCP is forming a special relationship with one of the world's deadliest terrorist groups. So this gives us uh, just one more glimpse into the opportunism and ambition of the CCP. And then a quick one here about China's antagonism of Taiwan. Over the last four days, Taiwan has tracked 143 Chinese warplanes and 56 warships entering into its air defense identification zone and territorial waters. So just an eye-popping number of planes and ships there. And uh, this is really the Chinese practicing for the day when they invade Taiwan. And then another development here concerning North Korean Supreme Leader Kim Jong-un. On Wednesday, he took his private bulletproof train across the border into Russia, and he was welcomed there by Vladimir Putin. The two held what the Kremlin called very substantive discussions there. And we don't yet know the details of exactly what was discussed. But there are indications that North Korea may be sending not only more of those 152 millimeter artillery shells to Russia, but possibly even some North Korean troops to help Russia fight its war. And then in exchange, Russia may start helping more with... Uh, North Korea's satellite and rocket programs space has you know been a major ambition for Kim for many years So that could go a long way toward getting him to help Russia more
1: We talk uh, in this program a lot. We talk about we warn about potential wars and and we're looking for those certain ones in fact uh, to to occur and uh, The one that we thought might occur uh, one that a lot of people thought, uh, you know, well, that'll never happen. It'll never come to that, uh, is now grinding into what it's, uh, second, second year, third or third year, the war in Ukraine.
2: Yes. Yeah. It has been a notable week for Russia's war on Ukraine. Yeah. I think we're about 19 months from the, the full scale invasion part of it. Um, and there are more and more reports coming in from the battlefields this week showing Ukrainian forces punching through Russian defenses. It's still very limited these gains, but there have been gains around Andriivka and also Klishchiivka and around uh, Robotina. Ukraine has, you know, continued trying to just push the invaders out, the invaders out in all of those areas and it has been very costly for both sides in terms of casualties. But then on Monday, Ukraine announced that it had recaptured some important oil and gas platforms in the Black Sea near occupied Crimea. These are uh, platforms that Russia took over all the way back in 2014. And it may not sound like too significant of a development for Ukraine to recapture these platforms. But really, for the last 19 months, Russia had been using its control of these for military operations. They based attack helicopters on them. They hit Ukrainian coastal targets from them, and they uh, operated surveillance equipment from the platforms as well. And then most significantly, Russia had actually installed sensors on at least one of these platforms that were connected to one of its S-400 defense systems that protect military assets in Crimea. So Ukraine took control of these platforms early this week. And apparently, the first thing they did was to dismantle those S-400 sensors. And so that left some of the S-400 systems in Western Crimea unable to function. And so Ukraine was able to blow those up. And so then with those S-400 batteries taken out of the way, Ukraine was able to strike a shipyard in Sevastopol with some cruise missiles. So this strike on the uh, the shipyard was only possible because the Ukrainians had already blown up Russia's S-400 air defense battery which is supposed to you know, normally protect the shipyard. And blowing up that battery was only possible because they had first captured the oil platforms. And, and the Russians have acknowledged that all of this happened. There's too much video evidence to deny it. You can actually hear a clip here of the explosions and some of the disbelief of those who are witnessing it. This was captured, I believe, by a Russian woman who lives near the dry dock there in Sevastopol. So there you hear some of the uh, the attacks that, that happened this week in Crimea, and and Russia said that at least 24 servicemen were wounded in the missile attack, and there were two warships in the dry dock that were damaged. So these were up out of the water at the time. One was a Rapucha-class amphibious ship, that's a landing ship, and the other was a Kilo-class submarine. And both of these burned through the night, and maybe they could be repaired, but it looks unlikely that they are salvageable. So this was uh, the culmination of a detailed plan that had been in the works for some time. On last week's episode, Mr. Palmer spoke about Ukraine's new defense minister, Rustam Umarov. And Mr. Palmer said we might see some changes in Ukraine's tactics and strategies because of that. And this uh, multi-step attack that that just happened this week very well may be our first indication of the kinds of tactics that we should expect under Umarov because it just, you know, it required several difficult steps in the right order for it to take place. But it looks like it was a notable success for the defenders. And for anyone who's counting, this means Russia's Black Sea Fleet has now lost a cruiser, three amphibious ships, a supply ship, several patrol boats and landing craft, and now for the first time, a submarine, a kilo-class submarine. So a very rough week for Russia's Black Sea Fleet. And Russia is not able to bring new ships in to replace these Because Turkey has banned any warships from going through the uh, Turkish Straits there. So it's a it's a big setback for Russian naval power in this war.
1: So obviously, Russia has uh, considerable naval power, considerable land power, and it is in Ukraine, the land uh, forces. Uh, Would you say that the where's the momentum right now? And how's Russia going to
2: respond? Well, the momentum right now seems negligible on both sides. It's it's pretty close to uh, to a draw. There are gains, as I said, in, in southern Ukraine with the Ukrainians punching through the defenses in a couple of places. But nothing like we saw last September when the Ukrainians reclaimed, you know, um, I think it was hundreds of square miles of land very rapidly. So it's, it's a bit at a stalemate right now. And the Russians are responding by a new mass mobilization. This had probably been in the works even before this week's attacks. But Ukraine says that it could be over 400,000 new soldiers that are soon going to be on the battlefield, 400,000 new Russians. It's hard to say if it'll actually reach that size, but Dmitry Medvedev has made some comments about this as well. So it looks like just another big wave of mobilization. And of course, these men will come mainly from the various minority groups, in Russia, the, the far-flung regions like Tuva and Buryashia, Um, from what we can tell, the numbers recruited from Moscow and St. Petersburg are expected to be very minimal. And that is in keeping with the Kremlin's desire to just really minimize losses for, Rus- for Russia's richest and most affluent people. You know, he doesn't want any of his oligarch buddies to be losing sons or nephews in the war. So he's mostly taking men from the, uh, the backwaters of Russia.
1: What's the significance? Why do you uh, have you come to this topic? And why have you come back to this topic? And uh, where can our listeners read more about this?
2: Yeah. Well, regardless of whether Putin's new mobilization plans help uh, his military forces in the near term, Trump editor-in-chief Gerald Flurry has said that we should expect him and his nation to grow in military might over the longer term. Mr. Flurry has explained using Bible prophecy that Putin's Russia will soon be a military superpower leading a multinational force that's far larger than any army ever assembled before. Uh, the, the passage there in Revelation says it'll be a 200 million man army, so just stunningly vast. And Mr. Flurry's booklet, The Prophesied Prince of Russia, takes a close look at that scripture and also Ezekiel 38 and several other related passages and just lays out what we should expect for Putin and Russia. So for any listener who would like to understand that, I would recommend his booklet, The Prophesied Prince of Russia.
1: So the trumpet has said and continues to say that Vladimir Putin, president of Russia, will be the major factor, the major factor, and war in Asia and Europe is going to escalate, not de-escalate at all. Now we fly from Asia to the fourth of our four regions, Europe. What news from Europe, Richard Palmer?
5: Well, I've got another first from Germany, where in the state uh, of I always say that wrong and the Germans make fun of me, Um, (laughs) but uh, they're the alternative for Deutschland. For the very first time, center-right parties made a tactical alliance with this more extreme group. In this case, it was to pass a law that would cut land tax. But this has never been done before in Germany. It's kind of another small taboo that's being broken that brings it much closer to the AFD coming into government, something that would radically change German politics. Then uh, Poland is continuing to be this uh, European military superpower. They have uh, the, Their defense ministry announced details of their plan to buy 500 HIMARS rocket launchers for 10 billion U.S. dollars. This is one way that this war in Ukraine is militarizing Europe. Poland wants to become Europe's most powerful military by, I think it's 2025. So they're quite rapidly buying weapons to to do this. And then European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen had her State of the Union speech this week, where she praised Europe going through one of the most ambitious transformations this union has ever embarked on. She heralded the birth of a geopolitical union. And she's right that Europe has taken some important steps and made some important transformations, especially in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. She also spent most of her speech talking about environmentalism and diversity and inclusion. Uh, And so I think the EU clearly has more changes to make as well before it's this muscular power that we've been forecasting here with the Trumpet. That could happen very quickly, though. You look at the way the migrant crisis is really starting to pile the pressure on Europe. Ukraine's war piling the pressure on Europe. Or Russia's war in Ukraine. I mean this is th- this change could happen fast, but we're expecting that change to come.
1: You mentioned to me your main story topic, and I was just thinking about the uh, the Palace of Westminster, where the Mother of Parliament's uh, British Parliament meets, and just how that Gothic palace there with the Big Ben Clock tower. It's quite a visual contrast to me to be imagining that very very British place, that very very important British place, and what's been happening inside that building and around that building. Hit us with the the main story that you uh, told me about.
5: Yes, I mean that I've been inside that building. It is incredible. I I don't know of any physical environment that is such an invitation to greatness. I mean, maybe the maybe House of Congress in the States, I've never been there. It may well be something similar, but it's like you can't go up past a landing on the stairs without bumping into a statue of some great figure or seeing some epic battle scene in painting. Uh, but yeah, it's it's it has fallen quite far with this particular week where a, a parliamentary researcher who was working closely with senior members of Britain's parliament, they were arrested back in March for Chinese espionage. This all just came out... This week, uh, the individual's name was Chris Chris Cash. He really was right at the top of, of the government here. He was the co founder of the Chinese Spy, so he was working closely with people on foreign policy, on specifically uh, Chinese uh, foreign policy relating to China. And then it's also come out this week that two conservative candidates to be MPs, so to to you know to be one of these elected officials, were probably Chinese spies. And that's how high this goes, that you could have had elective representatives in their pay. There were more stories as well about China trying to recruit people at the top of Britain's government. What it brought to mind was an article by uh, Mr. Stephen Flurry, Mr. Joel Hilliker from a couple of years ago called Wake Up to the Threat from China. That's just a really powerful article there that talks about how dramatically China has infiltrated so many countries. I mean, you think about With the hacking, they've probably got private data on just about everyone. They've they've, they've got a minefield. of That's a horrible mixed metaphor. They've got a a wonderful um, set of things they can use as blackmail against people all over the world that they've gotten from hacking. They've got video cameras made by companies with links to the Chinese Communist Party being used all around the world. And they're recruiting spies at the top of just about every country. And what the the point this article makes is, you know, this is a sign of Chinese strength, and it's also a sign of American, in this case and here, British weakness, that this is happening, and we're not really even concerned about it. Uh, it's 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 very, you know, Joe Biden famously was like, "China going to eat our lunch? Come on, man! Uh, it this is not right. a big deal because our will, our pride, and our power has been broken." So it's a powerful symbol of. Britain and America on the way down and China on the way up. And I think it's also a powerful example of individual morality directly affecting national security. Why is China able to blackmail, to bribe, to recruit so many people? Why is so much cheap Chinese technology used in key places? Well, because we don't care enough to invest more. Uh, They're able to bribe and blackmail because there are people doing things that they shouldn't. It's not the biggest consequence of a lack of national morality. I mean, that would be the collapse in the family and all of the other effects of that. But it is a very direct example of how this lack of morality is having geopolitical ramifications.
1: Chris Cash, indeed. Individual morality is directly connected to national security. I, that is such an important point to make. I'm glad you made it. The article you mentioned was Wake Up to the Threat from China. Wake up to the threat from China on thetrumpet.com, as well as I might throw in there to make that larger point uh, that you were just making The United States and Britain and Prophecy by Herbert W. Armstrong. The United okay. States and Britain and Prophecy, both available, of course, at thetrumpet.com. We'll be right back. <laughs>
0: Listening to Trumpet Hour, the Week in Review.
1: Welcome back. This is our final segment on Trumpet Hour, the Week in Review, and this week we are discussing North Africa. Mihailo Zekich, you are the one who suggested this as our roundtable topic. I've introduced the where, but tell us the who, what, when, and why.
3: Yes. So on the evening of September 8th, there was a pretty big 6.8 magnitude earthquake in central Morocco, about uh, 45 miles south of the uh, major city historic capital of Marrakesh. Thankfully, I mean, it's a big population center and it's a big tourist center. Thankfully, a lot of very few people in Marrakesh, or at least comparatively few died. But the earthquake also hit a significantly rural area south of there in the Atlas mountains so the death toll for that is still pretty high it's over uh, 2900 people at this point of course as the days drag on and more people don't get discovered under the rubble that climbs higher um then further east in north africa libya also had a catastrophic series of hurricane-type storm or a medicane, as they colloquially call it, Saturday night and then for all of Sunday hit the coast and that caused two dams near the uh, the city of Derna, which has about uh, 100,000 people, to break forth and sent a massive flash flood going through the city. Uh, the death toll every time I look up seems to keep uh, increasing. Last I checked, it's a, about uh, 11,300 now, which, again, for a city of 100,000 people, that's that, that's over 10% of the population of, of one city. North Africa, especially, is not exactly known for having high standards of living and, and safety and whatnot. Libya is in the midst of a, a fragile on-and-off civil war. So this already compounds a lot of, disasters that have already hit this region and is now just increasing people's misery and just, it's really a perfect storm, no pun intended, of problems hitting this poor region.
0: behind me are many more blocks of flats all pancaked smashed out the way you can just see the foundations left here the force of the water was so strong from the two dams that collapsed which yusra will show you in a minute that it actually sounded like the the locals saying it sounded like explosion after explosion after explosion Massive tons of rocks, whole apartment blocks just swept away. You can see the foundations of an entire bridge. There are three bridges that have just been swept away.
3: That first uh, clip you heard, that was of an entire building collapsing in the uh, Moroccan earthquake. You could see there's a, of, there's a lot of panic going on there. Uh, it happened quite late at night, unfortunately, which... A lot of people were inside buildings because of that when it happened. That second second clip there was a correspondent with Sky News actually walking through uh, the remnants of uh, Derna, just uh, describing some of the things she sees of this city. As you could see, you don't have to see the clip itself to from from just what she says to learn this pretty catastrophic devastation in this uh, relatively large city. And
5: this earthquake, I mean, like many, it's going to have a lot of wide-ranging ramifications i i never really liked necessarily talking about the geopolitical implications after you have a human tragedy like this it almost feels a little just disrespectful to those that have that have died but i think it is something that we do have to talk about i mean it is a tragedy of of and by itself uh but it is this is a critical region i mean libya has not really even settled its civil war uh it's been divided, that's going to make it much harder to come in and deal with with things. But you've got now, I mean, you've got a whole region of North Africa that is becoming really, really troubled. You've had two coups over the last couple of months. Now you've had two natural disasters uh, with earthquake and massive flooding. You're going to see a lot of refugees, and you're going to see a lot of other migrants trying to get across to Europe. And Already, we've had the the number of migrants arriving in Europe for the first half of this year is up 30 percent compared to last year. You had over half a million migrants apply for asylum in the EU during the first half of this year. That's the highest number since 2016 uh, for that time period. There's been already an increase in people coming from Western Africa, from the Ivory Coast and from Guinea. Uh, The Number from the Ivory Coast doubled from Guinea was up 60 percent. And the 2015, 2016 migrant crisis, I mean, that rocked Europe. And we're seeing the aftermath of, we're living in the aftermath of that. You know, the story that I talked about in the first half, about the alternative for Deutschland and getting closer to government, uh, the fact that you've got a descendant of Mussolini's fascist party ruling Italy. Now you've got people looking at these parties and saying, no, 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 they don't go far enough. Giorgia Meloni, she's let us down. She's not been, been tough enough on migrants. And so you know, we always make clear I'm not blaming the people in Europe that are fed up of migration or you know, I don't think they're incompassionate people. They're pointing to very real problems. Uh, I'm quite angry about the migrants all the, the migrant crisis in Britain and all the small boats arriving in Britain. You know, it's a fundamental duty of a government to protect the nation's borders. So I'm, I'm not really blaming those people. But the mainstream parties refuse to engage with this problem. And so voters concerned about this keep getting pushed towards these extreme parties because those are their only options. And what you're seeing is a complete radical transformation of European politics. And this could, you know, all the natural disasters that are hitting North Africa could really kick that up a notch and really help transform Europe very quickly towards this kind of strong man type Europe that we've been talking about. You know, strong leaders that will stand up and defend America, defend borders because, If democratic consensual leadership is not going to defend a nation's borders and you're having a lot of impoverished young men coming in, bringing huge kind of social problems, people are going to turn to whoever will do the job. And so it's very quickly leading to a change, a profound change in just Europe's character. I mean, that's kind of we had a we had an article recently in one of the Trumpet Prints talking about Europe's personality change. That's what this is about. And that's going to have earth-shaking consequences. The Bible really draws attention to the rise of a strong man in Europe as a key milestone in end-time events. And it's fascinating to see you know, all of these events tying into that. And that's also that's a powerful reminder, too, though, that as tragic as these earthquakes are, as tragic as these events are, they're all even something as randomly seeming as a damn overflowing and filling it's all flowing out according to a plan that's already laid out in your bible and that ultimately there is a loving god in charge and he is there and he is he loves the victims of this this flood they're going to be resurrected they'll have a chance to get to know him uh all of this is unfolding according to a plan that plan is going to lead to a lot more suffering as this european power inflicts it very soon but all of this is unfolding exactly the way that is outlined in your Bible. And even, even, even natural disasters are tying in to that prophetic outline.
1: Well, it is just exactly as you say, Richard Palmer, greater human tragedies are coming as a result of this human tragedy. So sometimes on the, on the show, you'll, you'll hear about a a terrible human tragedy, uh, well, of that's involving people that are just as valuable human beings as anyone on this show or anyone anywhere, um, and then we'll point to well, what's your you know policy going to be on this or immigration? Well, there's specific reasons for that, and and the reason we will always come back to these same uh, uh, forecasts of the future, like you say is that, you know, whether it's migration, causing social problems, causing crime, causing desperation, causing strong leaders, um, we're looking for specific things to happen that are going to lead to far, far greater human tragedies, more people, people you know, people in your country experiencing human tragedies like like uh, these people and, and and others that we can't even get to, you know, have experienced just this week. Uh, I mean, you said, I mean... The, the 2900 was one of those death tolls Mihailo, and, and that's not even the large one uh, but that's how many uh, roughly how many uh, died on the day of 911 and and you see buildings fall you see floods sweep through you you realize there are people in there and 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 they're just dying by the masses you know indiscriminate buildings falling on people or floods, waters taking people away, whether they were good or bad, whether they were family men or children. And um, it just reminds me of, of uh, I mean, the Jesus Christ in the Bible talked about a, a tower collapse. And I've, I think I brought this up before, but but he he said, you know, what's the lesson here? It's not that those people were, were uh, either insignificant for one They weren't insignificant. And it's not that they were more evil and more deserving of a building falling on them. Um, It's that we need to realize that unless he says, unless you repent, everyone's going to die a senseless death like that, you know, even if you live out your life. So there is something, I mean, I really appreciate, Mahalo, first of all, you bringing this as our, as our uh, round table discussion. Then that, obviously that perspective, Mr. Palmer, that you uh, give to it there. Yes. There's you know, these specific things we're looking for. And this is why, this is why we are looking for uh, specific things, specific tragedies, as opposed to other tragedies, specific, uh, ramifications of those tragedies as opposed to others. So you can go to the trumpet.com and go to the trends tab and look at why the trumpet watches increased natural and weather disasters. Uh, why the trumpet watches increase natural and weather disasters and at the same time you can look at uh, the article I think you wrote Mr. Palmer in the latest trumpet, why Niger is a catastrophe for europe and and understand this connection between geopolitical events, uh, events beyond destructive events beyond our control and as you said earlier, personal morality and national security these are not, uh, disassociated things these are all connected and they all do get back to not only the individual but also the fact that there is hope like you said and there is a loving god behind it all that is all the time we have for trumpet hour this week we appreciate everyone here who's contributed your thoughts and your uh, your skills as well And uh, we thank our engineering guys, Parker Campbell and Isaac Lorenz are helping us out there as they do every week. And we thank you most of all, Trumpet Hour listener, for joining us for the Week in Review. And we look forward to being back with you next week.